If you didn't pay a gazillion dollars to see Hamilton back in 2016, this is your lucky summer. Governors who are ready to reopen during the pandemic are not exactly popular these days. And the Allison Roman versus Chrissy Teigen feud is dead. But there's the little matter about Roman's recipes. We talk with writer Roxana Haddadi about just who gets to set the conversation around food. The date, May 12, 2020. The time, music clock. Hello, friends. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. So I gotta say, my mornings have been both better and worse lately. Why? Better because I've been actually waking up in the morning times and trying to get in some exercise. Worse because I'm waking up in the morning times and trying to get some exercise. (laughs) Wait, what have you been doing? Because I've been doing nothing. Oh, man, I've started trying out yoga with adrian the very popular uh, youtube channel mm-hmm, went so far as to mm-hmm. buy an extremely cheap yoga mat and uh been doing that most mornings and it's good but also i don't wanna it's the current vibe <laughs> like i enjoy it i really do it's very relaxing and i i feel myself getting stronger but also i i'm at the point where i'm almost an expert at her complete beginner video, but still struggle uh. during her regular beginner's video. <laughs> and uh, that's 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 my vibe right now. Okay, honestly, I should probably start doing yoga because what I've been half-assed doing is I found an old like 80s standing bike outside my neighbors who's moving out. So I took it and I put it on my balcony and it's really not great, but it does the trick. But the problem is, is that I'm full on obsessed with Ticket to Ride, which is a board game. If you guys don't know it and you're given these route cards and you try and complete a route out of your little trains you have, it's fun for me, but I've become so addicted when I don't have my roommates to play with. I downloaded it onto my tablet. Oh, no. I know I have to exercise, but I know that I'd rather play Ticket to Ride. So I've been sitting on my bike with the tablet and I've just been like biking while playing. And obviously, like the biking, I'm not really doing anything. I'm just kind of like it becomes a chair. (laughs) It's a chair, I think. I think I'm a wobbly chair. I think I took a chair. Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. <laughs> I Thank you. Your street bike deserves better, Casey. <laughs> okay, it's time for the Corona update. Here are three things you need to know today. One, top healthcare officials testified to the Senate remotely, of course, and they gave some pretty grim warnings. Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is one of the top infectious disease specialists in the country, is self-isolating as a precautionary measure after the White House had a case of coronavirus, he said that states moving to reopen their economy too quickly could be uh, bad. My concern is that if states or cities or regions, in their attempt to get back to some form of normality, disregard to a greater or lesser degree the checkpoints that we put in our guidelines about when it is safe to proceed in pulling back on mitigation. Fauci also cautioned against the idea that a vaccine could be ready in time for schools to open in the fall. Another official told the senators of the Health, Education, Labor and Pension Committee that the U.S. is hoping to perform 1.3 million coronavirus tests per day by September. Compare that, though, to Wuhan, China, where the virus was first discovered. It will be testing all 11 million of its residents after six new cases popped up. Currently, there are 80,000 dead from COVID in the United States. Number two, much like the White House, there's COVID in the Kremlin. 
Dmitry Peskov, who is a Putin spokesman and his right-hand man, has reportedly been hospitalized with it. Peskov is one of the few people to be in constant close contact with Putin on the regular. So this is got to be a wake-up call for the Russian government. Putin, though, is reportedly kind of bored with the crisis before this uh, happened. He's been seen not really listening during meetings and has handed over responsibility for taking care of, you know, fixing things to regional governors instead. Do you know what the numbers are like for coronavirus in Russia? Oh, they're bad. They are not good. Russia has overtaken both the United Kingdom and Italy in terms of total coronavirus cases. And so even in the midst of that, uh, they are still like, eh, whatever. We're lifting our national lockdown. Governors, you deal with it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, not looking good over there in Russia, especially since we don't really know for sure how many deaths have been caused because of uh, some counting funniness. Good times. All right. And number three. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had some things to say about the Trump administration's handling of the COVID crisis, most of them kind of wrong. So McConnell was speaking with Laura Trump on a Trump-focused web show last night when he popped off about some comments that Obama had given privately that had leaked. Among other things, he said that Obama was being, you know, classless by talking about the current administration, and then he should not. He also claimed that the mob administration left no playbook for how to handle a crisis like this, except there was a literal playbook put together by the National Security Council, 69 pages long, that is now public for everyone to read. McConnell also said that the governors who have instituted lockdowns in their states are kind of drunk with power. So some of these governors, particularly the Democrat governors, it seems, enjoy this extra power over people's lives. And people are beginning to chafe and ended up in court in a, in a couple of cases, as I mentioned. And the governors have been struck down, uh, have been overruled for being sort of drunk with power uh, at the opportunity to keep everybody locked up. Yeah, he says that. But new polling from The Washington Post and Ipsos shows that governors who acted fast are way more popular than the president, with some as high as 80 percent approval ratings at the bottom of the list, though, are governors who have pushed to reopen, with Georgia Governor Brian Kemp resting at the bottom with a 39 percent approval rating. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that I can't like speak to obviously other people that live in different states. But for me in Los Angeles, it's like, you know, like I'm very much like watching what Garcetti's saying and doing. I appreciate what he's been doing for California so far, you know, being a little bit like stricter or trying to be mm -hmm. even if people are upset. And it's just like, yeah, it's like I think people are acutely aware of who's trying to help them and who isn't. Right. Like even at the top list with 80 percent approval rating is Mike DeWine, who is the Republican governor of Ohio. People think he's do been doing a great job and he has been at the forefront of saying, no, we need to keep things on lock until we get this under control. All right. It's time for today's good news, bad news. This is where I bring you some of the most, oh, my God, yes. And most, oh, my God, no stories from around the Internet. Good news. The room where it happened is about to be your living room. The room where it happens. Lin-Manuel Miranda announced today that Hamilton will be coming to Disney Plus in July. 
Last month, Lynn revealed that they taped the original cast of the show back in 2016 to produce a film version, and originally it was supposed to be released in theaters next October, but instead we're going to be getting it on July 3rd, aka Real Independence Day. (laughs) It joins several other early streaming releases that are skipping theaters as the pandemic continues to keep folks staying at home, including Trolls World Tour, which I'm sure everyone at this point has seen commercials and ads for, (laughs) and the Issa Rae Kumal Nanjiani rom-com the lovebirds which i'm have not watched yet i'm so excited to see <laughs> right that comes out on netflix next week and i'm really excited to watch mm-hmm, it too mm-hmm. but uh i am so glad that they're pushing this up to july i love that it's happening on july 3rd which as you said is real independence day that's the day they actually signed the declaration of independence and i i going to watch it so many times i might break disney plus that's my worry <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited to do it. So I got to see it in, you know, the L.A. version of it. And it's great to see it live and stuff. But it's one of those things where, you know, everything's happening so fast that you don't get a chance to hit rewind. And now I will hit rewind one million times. I confession, we saw it original cast back in 2016, (gasps) but only because we bought our tickets for our April show Back in September, right when the cast oh album dropped. So we were sitting pretty while everyone was just learning it was a thing. Like, yeah, mm. we're seeing it in like a few months time. It's fine. <laughs> so you're walking around just being one of those like douches. It's like, oh, you, you didn't buy your tickets to Hamilton yet? Hmm. I'm not saying that I was, <laughs> but I'm also not saying that I wasn't. <laughs> Well, good for you. I'm glad you got to see it. (laughs) Okay, on to the bad news. Canadian rock star Brian Adams went full on racist in an Instagram post last night. Adams was upset that his upcoming performances in London, which were supposed to start Monday, were put on hold thanks to the coronavirus. So he fired up Instagram, where all good and bad things happen, and posted a video of himself singing his 1983 hit, Cuts Like a Knife. But in his caption, he wrote that the delay was thanks to, quote, some fucking bat eating, wet market animal selling, virus making greedy bastards, which comes off as extremely racist. He says that he meant it as more of like a vegan tirade, but it definitely comes off as racist and uh, read the room. His Instagram got cross-posted to Twitter and folks lost it at how bad a take it was. And today he apologized saying, quote, no excuse. I just wanted to have a rant about the horrible animal cruelty in these wet markets being the possible source of the virus and promote veganism. What in the PETA was that? Like that made PETA commercials look (laughs) hyper effective. Like, wow, maybe if I bully people with racism, they'll stop eating animals. What? It was not a well thought out plan, <laughs> which is interesting because because all we have right now is time to think. <laughs> right. And I, I'm not going to lie. I when I first saw the tweet going around, I had no idea who he was. Um, I only know him from that song on the summer of 69. That's the only thing I know him from. Yeah, fair, valid. I, I'm just glad that we got a new main character on Twitter for a minute there because we needed it. <laughs> we needed a new one. All right, when we come back, we've got Roxana Haddadi with us to talk about the Allison Roman Chrissy Teigen feud and what it says about food culture.
SheFit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. This season, get football on your terms with NFL Game Pass. Let's go! See every snap from every game with full game replays. What a throw, what a catch! Listen to all the action as it happens with live game audio. Watch the dog, Jeep! Leaping grab to Monte Adams! Plus, watch your team on your time with condensed game replays. Wow! Get football on your terms with NFL Game Pass. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Welcome back. It's time for Say More. This is where we get to go a little deeper with some of the most interesting folks out there. And today is no exception. Yesterday, we filled you in on all the tea that came from New York Times columnist Allison Roman's dunking on Chrissy Teigen and Marie Kondo in an interview. Chrissy and Allison have since made up, but that still leaves us with some questions about Allison and the way she chooses and talks about her recipes. We're joined by Roxana Haddadi, a freelance author and contributor at Pajiba.com, who wrote about just that. Hello, Roxana. Hey, how are you guys? Great. So when you first saw the drama that was going down uh, from the Allison Roman interview, what was your first reaction and what made you want to write something related to it? Um, my first reaction was just shock that she was taking swipes at people that are very beloved right now within the food world and within the influencer world. But the reason that I wanted to write about it, and I wrote about this in my piece, is because in particular, I've seen so many of her recipes shared online and especially the stew, quote unquote, recipe And it's just been something I've been following in terms of the recipes she uses, the ingredients she uses, and sort of what Roman isn't talking about when it comes to describing those recipes. So I wanted to dive in a little deeper about people and cultures and ethnicities who seem to be left out of this food influencer talk. Which makes total sense. And in your piece, you mentioned the fact that so many of the things we think of as fusion cuisine or influences in cuisine, because of colonization, we just don't really talk about that. So that was really fascinating. And you mentioned the stew just now, which for listeners who don't know what that is, it's an extremely viral recipe Allison wrote for spiced chickpea stew with coconut and turmeric. She's insisted it's not a curry, but uh, it's definitely a curry, right? I Yeah, I definitely think it's a curry. And in terms of colonization, you know, even the word 
curry has roots in how England colonized India, and it's a recipe that has gone all around the world. Different regions everywhere from South Asia to Africa to Japan have their own versions of curries. So it was interesting to me to take what were very clearly curry ingredients and a curry technique and not call it a curry. And it was just one of those things that I thought, why are we not using language that already exists in a recipe that is very recognizable to certain people. Besides the curry, the piece you wrote for Pajiba took us on a bit of a tour of how what we think of as fusion cuisine originated from colonization. Why do you think most people don't acknowledge that? Um, I think colonization in and of itself makes people uncomfortable to talk about because I think it speaks to the fact that a lot of our world history is shaped by destruction, which is pretty bleak and dark. <laughs> so True. I can understand, like I can understand once you're having sort of like a fancy $12 taco that you might not want to think about how those ingredients came together. And so I think it does make people uncomfortable. And I think right now we're so into quick and easy recipes and something you can make yourself and you don't want to think about it that much. But I also think that in and of itself is sort of a privilege to have that ignorance and to not think about why these recipes and ingredients matter and where they came from. So for me, it's really just about if you're really interested in food, I think it's important to think about the people often on the other side of the world who aren't part of this conversation and yet how they helped shape it. So yeah, I mean, one of the things you pointed out in your piece that I didn't know she had said was how Alison Roman, when talking about criticisms that she isn't mentioning the fact that, you know, these ingredients come from X place or Y place is that she basically said, I have no culture. I am cultureless. I'm a mix of European. And that's so fascinating that even though she works for all these things, she still sees, you know, the default as being her. She is the default, the, the blank canvas on which food is, I guess, projected. I'm nodding super vigorously because I also think it's <laughs> one of those things. I, I just I can't imagine saying you have no culture right? Like, quote unquote, mm -hmm. white culture is very much the status quo in America and in the highest levels of food cuisine. It's what people aspire to. It's this idea of European cuisine and French cuisine. And so it's very strange to me for the defense to be, I'm white. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, it's curry. Curry is very recognizable. Just acknowledge that you made something that sort of pulls from these other cultures. And I really don't think, you know, there's no fault in that. Like, I don't want to make it seem like we're having a gatekeeping conversation and saying, mm -hmm. you know, you can't use these ingredients. Don't put harissa on your chicken. Go for it. Like, do whatever spice blend you want. Put some za'atar on there. Do whatever you feel. I just think it's important to acknowledge that influence and what that means. So this idea of I don't have any culture and because I don't have any culture, that means I just made a stew is a very weird line of defense. It's so bouncing off of that again, it feels like sometimes there could be a twice as good dynamic at work in the celebrity food space where chefs who are people of color have to really be well-versed in two styles of cooking, classic French cuisine or whatever, and their own cultures. How 
does that dynamic change? How does it get to a place where that's no longer a requirement or expectation, or at least it has a more even playing ground? Well, I think when we talk about inclusivity, I think we talk about it at all levels. And so I think right now, a lot of what we're seeing, and you sometimes see this when you're watching a show like Top Chef, like a lot of the people that they bring in as experts are still experts from that sort of classic, old-fashioned mode of cuisine. And so I think something that's really important is just elevating people to those highest levels and recognizing that certain areas of the world and their traditions are just as respectable as other parts of the world. I mean, we see this with Samin Nosrat and with Nadia Hussein and with these other women of color who have been elevated super high. They're still classically trained as Nosrat is, or they are like Nadia and they are a home cook. So I think it's just a matter of including a lot of different voices from a lot of different backgrounds to sort of even out the playing field. Allison wound up apologizing last night via a note on Twitter and Chrissy accepted. Do you think that the apology she posted was enough and what we can all be learning from this? I mean, I think the apology is always the right way to go. Like, I don't ever want to say you shouldn't apologize. But I think (laughs) a lot of times, you know, it's like what comes next after this apology? I thought Mm -hmm. it was very interesting that she said that her emails are open and she's willing to have conversations. But at the same time, this concept of like the cultural appropriation of her recipes was only one sentence in this apology. And Mm so, again, it's not trying to cancel culture someone, but just trying to sort of change the conversation, what she said about Marie and Chrissy was wrong. And I think also it's worth sort of taking a look back at what her approach has been and moving forward. Do we see the New York Times sort of pivot into expanding more explanations in their recipes? Do we see some more acknowledgement of what her influences are? There was a couple of other interviews where people had asked about how does she come up with ideas? And she had sort of hedged around and danced around what her influences are. And so I just Mm. think, you know, be more open about what you like and what inspires you. And I think so many people who love food just want to have a conversation about that. So I think be more willing to have that conversation. That's really what I want to see from her moving forward. And speaking of conversations, this has been a really great one, Roxana. Thank you so much for your time and uh, your thoughts. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. We have time for one more thing. And today that thing is Robert Pattinson. Is he the world's worst chef or the world's greatest performance artist. <laughs> okay, well, given his choice in movies since Twilight, I'm guessing the latter, but why are we figuring this out? Because of this absolutely bonkers interview that he gave with GQ writer Zach Baer. I, I really can't do it justice, just kind of reading it out. So uh, me and our producer, we're going to do a bit of a dramatic reenactment of portions of it for you, Casey. And you can decide what happens if you think it's real or just Pattinson being a troll and putting the writer on. For the record, even Zach Barron, he has no idea. He is the main thesis of this piece is, I don't know if Robert Pattinson is just fucking with me. Okay, so Pattinson decides he's going to cook pasta for Zach via video call because we're all separated still. So he goes to the store and comes back with the things he's missing for his dish, which apparently was cornflakes, pre-sliced cheese, and tomato sauce. This is our dramatic reenactment of this piece. 
He puts on his latex gloves. He pulls out some sugar and some aluminum foil and makes a bed, a kind of hollowed out sphere with the foil. He holds up a box of penne pasta that he had in the house. All right. So obviously, first things first. You gotta microwave the pasta. So already this is going great, just (laughs) really smoothly. Okay, right now I'm keeping like a tally of when I think he's trolling, when he's not, so that we have like evidence to compare for later. In the meantime, he takes the foil and he begins dumping sugar on top of it. I found after a lot of experimentation that you really need to congeal everything in an enormous amount of sugar and cheese. So after the sugar, he opens his first package of cheese and begins layering slice after slice onto the sugar foil. Then more sugar. It really needs a sugar crust. Then he realizes he's forgotten the outer layer, which is supposed to be breadcrumbs, but today will be crushed up cornflakes. And so he lifts the pile of cheese and sugar and crumbles some cornflakes onto the aluminum foil before placing the sugar cheese back on top of it. Then he adds sauce, which is red. <laughs> there's a there's a lot that just happened, and I honestly was down to eat it until the red sauce was added on top of it. Wait, you were down for the sugar cheese mixture? Wait, wait. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know. Do you want me to apologize? Well, it also specifically just reminds me of like what Leslie Nope eats on Parks and Rec. She she mixes salt and sugar and then she poured it on her pasta. Solger. That's what she calls it. Solger. So Pattinson, by this point, like most readers, has given up on this dish working. But again, onward. The little pillow now mostly built, he pours more sugar on top of it and then produces the top half of a bun, which he hollows out, placing it on top of the rest of whatever the hell this thing is, and begins burning the top of the bun with a giant novelty lighter. I'm just gonna do the initials. You look like you're cooking meth, I say, because he does. So he he's trying to burn the initials of this, like, restaurant fast food pasta concept thing he's made up into the bun on top, but just kind of torching it. I, I'm so confused. I was so confused when reading this as to what's happening. I hope he's high. I hope he was high. That's what I hope. <laughs> For everyone's sake, please let Robert Pattinson have just been blazed out of his mind. He puts the aluminum sphere, this little pillow, into what he thinks is an oven and I think is a microwave. He attempts to turn it on. I actually knew how to do this before. I literally did this yesterday, and now it's impossible. It's going to look like I can't cook at all. Proudly, he is walking back toward the counter that his phone is on when behind him, a lightning bolt erupts from the oven slash microwave, and Pattinson ducks like someone outside has opened fire. He's giggling and crouching as the oven throws off stray flickers of light and sound. The fucking electricity! Oh my god! He's still on the floor, and then with a loud, final bang... The oven slash microwave goes dark. In the silence, Pattinson and I both stare at the mysterious piece of machinery built into the wall behind him. Yeah, I think I have to leave that alone. He sighs again, picking himself off the floor. Okay, I've decided what this is. It is a tactic to make us once Mm -hmm. and for all stop talking about Twilight, because now we will talk about the microwave. (laughs) 
period. I, it's such a work of beauty, both between the GQ writer describing it all and Pattinson doing whatever this was, this Andy Kaufman-esque, what the heck, this mind-bending act of cookery. I I feel like this really brings us full circle with our Alison Roman conversation earlier in the sense that who claims this? No one. No one claims this culture. Thank you to our producer, Alan Haberchak, for playing the role of Robert Pattinson. You can read the full profile of Pattinson from writer Zach Barron at GQ.com. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow when we're joined by Elise Hogue, the president of NARAL, who will be telling us all about how states are making getting abortions even harder during the pandemic. And remember, the only thing standing between us and going back outside is the door. Also, the deadly virus that is still not under control, but also the door. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please, take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And tell your friends. Then set your alarm so you never miss another episode of News O'Clock. Hey, Randy. What you doing? Oh, hey, Dave. I'm just making a list of things that make me feel really, really good. Wearing Bombas socks. Trust me, that's number one on my list. Bomba socks feel so good because we use the smartest design and best materials, making them the most comfortable socks ever. Plus, because socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, we donate a pair for every pair purchased, and that feels pretty good too. To shop Bombas or learn more about how your purchase supports those experiencing homelessness, go to bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first purchase. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. When's the last time you took a time out? I'm Eve Rodsky, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fair Play and Find Your Unicorn Space. Activist on the gender division of labor, attorney and family mediator. And I'm Dr. Aditi Narukar, a Harvard physician and medical correspondent with an expertise in the science of stress, resilience, mental health and burnout. We're so excited to share our podcast, Time Out, a production of iHeart Podcasts and Hello Sunshine. We're peeling back the layers around why society makes it so easy to guard men's time like it's diamonds and treat women's time like it's infinite, like sand. And so whether you're partnered with or without children or in a career where you want more boundaries, this is a place for you, for people of all family structures. So take this time out with us to learn, get inspired, and most importantly, Reclaim your time. Listen to Time Out, a Fair Play podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.